Hello! Please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, we witness the whackness of Dear Evan Hansen, to say the fucking least. Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and hey everybody, I just got done going to truck school. And I am Thomas Mariani here waiting through a window. Wow, you sounded just like him. Yep. That's uh, that's the curse. Like the one person I can imitate musically is Ben Platt. Yeah, that's pretty awful. Yeah, unfortunately. But welcome everybody to the Double Edge Shovel Bill, where every week Adam and I cover a good and a bad feature we picked at the end of the previous episode, uh, based around a topic. And uh, the topic for this week and is actually interesting kickoff to a themed month we have here, uh, called Remember in which we are revisiting topics we have done previously, just because it timed out to where most of the topics of the month were ones that kind of matched something. Like, for example, coming-of-age films uh, matches up with a couple titles coming out this award season in November with uh, Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans and Armageddon Time from James Gray. Uh, so, you know, along with this topic, we'll be visiting a bunch of others, because we did this a couple years ago where we talked about Hunt for the Wilder People and Adam's favorite movie of all time, Deuce is Wild. Best movie ever. So many people love that movie. So many people saw it in the theater, too. Not only love it, but can recognize it by that name and mm-hmm. have specific memories related to that title that is not generic at all. Nope, not at all. It's great. It's great. Yes, yes. We can go back into the archives and hear that lovely episode. Uh, but we are here to talk again about coming-of-age films, which, like we said previously, uh, it's an interesting genre just to kind of go back to reminisce about that point where, you know, people transition from childhood to adulthood. It's a fun genre worth revisiting. Especially, you got a figure of my era, too. The 80s Amblin era and the John Hughes of it all and all that. There was just a ton of coming-of-age movies coming out. Most of them are still pretty great. Yeah. Some of them are. I said most. Not all. (laughs) Yeah, for sure, for sure. But uh, we're here to talk about two much more recent films in terms of our picks. Adam, uh, because the end of our last episode, we did a random picking. We came up with uh, your good pick of The Wackness and uh, my bad pick of Dear Evan Hansen, uh, both of which uh, you know came out within uh, the last you know twenty years or so. so let's go ahead and uh, jump into our features. Then uh, first, with your good pick of the Wackness. Yeah, man. It's summer of '94, and I'm sweating fresh to death in NYC. Get into this. What's up, man? Steph, what up? You sell ISIS? Uh, that's my cover. How does it work? My occupation takes me to exotic locations like Brooklyn and Queens. Don't let Giuliani see you. That's how I met my shrink. How much you need, man? You're the one who needs the sun. My life sucks. Has this got something to do with Kurt Cobain? You, you got what I... Surely there's someone, Luke. Yeah. 
She just wants to be friends. Who is she? Does Stephanie know her? Make her like you. You're a virgin? No. Nah. I think it's time for our first lesson. Summertime. So The Wackness came out on August 1st, 2008 from uh, director-writer Jonathan Levine. Why don't you go ahead, and because this was your pick, why don't you describe a bit of The Wackness, you know, give us a basic plot synopsis, and then, uh, you know, give us your thoughts upon revisiting, because you mentioned you'd seen this around the time it came out, but not in a while. So, right. So, uh, go ahead and uh, divulge. Okay, so The Wackness takes place in the summer of 94 in New York. Uh, Hip-hop is really sort of exploding onto the scene, and it follows this young kid, uh, played by uh, Josh Peck, who's a weed dealer, and he's sort of trying to navigate through his life. He doesn't really have any friends. His only friend is a psychiatrist that he pays with weed, and he's really trying to find a, like a girlfriend, and his parents, you know, he doesn't have the best home life and all that, so it's kind of like his tale of sort of finding himself during this one summer that's got like a crazy heat wave, all his friends are gone. It's the summer before he leaves for college, and it's sort of his story along with the psychiatrist story who's played by Ben Kingsley. I saw it when it came out. I didn't see it at the theater. I don't think anybody fucking did, to be honest. But I really, really enjoyed it. And upon revisiting, I still got a lot of enjoyment out of it. Uh, A, the soundtrack is great. There's some great supporting characters and performances in this movie. I think it's still a really solid movie. I hadn't seen this before. I remember when this came out, though, because it was especially uh, drawn by the fact that you mentioned Josh Peck, who before this had a lot more, so it was like a kid actor who had appeared in a lot of like Nickelodeon things, uh, particularly like uh, Drake and Josh show and the Amanda show, stuff like that. So I remembered him from my childhood. And this was, I believe, around the time where um, he had gotten very thin. Because uh, yep. he was a bit, you know, a bigger guy when he was a kid, and uh, he really thinned up around. I think it was like the last season of that Drake and Josh show, which I was not watching Nickelodeon really at that point. And I was like, oh wow, this is interesting. I'd like to see, you know, Peck kind of. This is definitely his sort of. We talked about this phenomenon before many times of kid actor wants to show off like, yeah, I'm an adult, so I'm going to play a kid who deals weed and is about to go to college because I'm I'm not on Nickelodeon anymore, baby. <laughs> It's very much that kind of performance, I would argue. Um, but I didn't see it until you picked it for the show. And um, it's all right. <laughs> I think that's the thing. Is that I don't have a huge amount to say about it. I think there's, you know, this trouble I think I find with it where it definitely is trying to be sort of this, like, coming-of-age story about this kid, about him having that transition from, like I mentioned, adolescence to adulthood. But I think it struggles a lot with trying to have, like, some of that authentic, you know, sort of emotional grounding for the movie, but then also it veers very heavily into, like, sort of wacky hijinks at several times that I don't think it quite works. I think Levine's done a better job of that, I think, since this, because he also did stuff like 50-50 and The Long Shot, even Warm Bodies, which is very weird, like, horror comedy. But I think he usually has a pretty good balance in, like, having fun, silly shenanigans happen while having a strong emotional base for what's going on. And I feel like this one's a bit more wonky. I overall still thought it was, like, it was watchable, it was fine, but I, I think it definitely feels like an early film from a guy who would do much better. Oh, no, it, it definitely is that, 100%. I mean, it's pretty hollow. I mean, it really is. It, they, there's nothing really sort of 
I don't want to say fleshed out because I don't think that's the case. It's kind of, like you said, a little bit tonally all over the place. It's wacky, crazy fun. Then it's dead serious family drama. Then it's young lover loses his virginity sort of drama. Then he's a drug dealer. He has no friends. It's kind of all over the place in a, in a not very long movie. I mean, it, it doesn't even hit two hours. But I will say, to me, the shining point of the movie, at least for me, I honestly feel like Peck and Kingsley had really good chemistry. Like, they were, they were fun together. Kingsley was fun in it. He is wacky. Well, it, to me, if they would have leaned more into sort of that silly hijink stuff, it, it would have worked more. It's just too half and half. I think I would have preferred if it leaned more into just like the, the, the scenes where like they're actually sort of like talking to each other in their sessions, quote unquote. I think are the most of them were like the wackiest element of it is like, oh, Ben Kingsley pulls out a bong. I think like my least favorite section of this whole movie is the whole like bar sequence. Uh, where they bring back yeah. ending, the silliest character with uh, Mary-Kate Olsen, who pops up as, like, 90s hippie girl. The scene earlier on where she's introduced, where Josh Peck and Olivia Thoroughly run into her, and she's like, oh, yeah, you look a lot like Jason Priestley from 90210, and I just went to a fish concert and met this guy who's playing bongos. Like, is this that 90s show? Is this what this is? What the, what the fuck is this bullshit? <laughs> this is so rough. And then the, the bar scene later on, I think, is like where it veers too much into wackiness as opposed to when I think it works best is when it's just like two characters kind of like being intimate with each other and there is some sort of like funny element that's like maybe a bit more awkward than necessarily like wacky. Yeah, I can agree with that. Honestly, the highlight of the thing for me is uh, Olivia Thirlby. Yeah, um, she's fucking as, great. As the love interest. Yeah. And this was like her peak time because this was right after Juno, where she played Elliot Page's best friend, and uh, not too long after this was Dread. And it's a bummer. I think she's kind of like she's been working. I looked on her IMDb; she's been working like TV and stuff. But I hadn't seen her in something in ages, and I forgot. Like, man, she is so fun as like this character who definitely feels like you know there's a bit of wish fulfillment. Like, oh, the perfect gr- like the cool girl to quote Gone Girl <laughs> very much. Of just like now she hangs out with the dudes and she's totally like up for that. But I like the fact that the movie gives her a certain through line of like, look, hey, we're having fun here. But this isn't, like, a serious thing. This is a summer fling, and he gets too caught up in his feels. That's, like, the most sort of, like, coming-of-age heartbreaking stuff to me, is when he does, like, the the awkward, like, losing his virginity, and also the I love you, and she's like, whoa, that's not what this is like. Oof, ooh, no, dude. I know, I watched, I watched it today, and when that scene happened, I went, oh. <laughs> I, audib- I audibly went, oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. I mean, and it, but then, you know, it gives us the great moment with him. He's like, you know, just stand there. Don't say anything. Why? Well, I want to remember this because it's never happened to me before. You know what? I've never had my heart broken. That's a great moment. Great scene. And uh, yeah, they have pretty good chemistry together, too. Like, he plays this sort of dopey, sort of kind of lost kid really well. I mean, he's really, really solid in this. But yeah, she just lights up the screen anytime she's on it. She's she, a she's very she's very pretty, but she's also unique pretty. And like you said, she, her character is great because her character's like, yeah, she's the cool down to earth girl. She's down to drink beers and smoke weed in the park and making me a mixtape. She takes them out to Fire Island and they do what they do and all that. But she's just like, let's just enjoy this for what it is. Like I mean, we ain't need to make this anything lasting. And because because it, it's a summer fling, dude. We're gonna go to college in different places that's the best part about her character too she's never not that 
like pretty much right from the get. Like she makes her stance well known. It's the the sort of uncomfortableness of it and the relatability comes on his end, where you're like, oh, dude, stop. She's already made it very clear. Oh no. She <laughs> like, set those oh. boundaries, and you don't see him because you're young and stupid. <laughs> and right away, you know, here I'm gonna give you my number so you can call me sometime. But to like chill, yeah, to hang out, to be friends, you know, buddies, pals. And he's just like, I got her now, Burgle. You just, you feel bad for him too, though. Because it's just like, I think most people have been there, but of both sides, you know, where it's like somebody you're really into, just like friend zoned. 100% friend zoned. You're like, oh, man. <laughs> Did that phone call he leaves? It's such an uncomfortable message. You know, I do love you. I meant what I said. Yeah, I do. I can't help it. I love you. You won't fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like, he just runs the whole gamut of emotion, like, right away. And I sympathize with him. I feel bad for him. Yeah, even though, obviously, like, it's, friend zoning is obviously such a term where it's just, like, it's, it's much more of, like, she settled this up very firmly. Like, you were in a friend environment long before this. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, 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 no. He didn't realize it. That's the problem. Yeah. Right. And that's what makes it, like, oh, buddy, oh, no, oh, Josh Peck. <laughs> or uh, what's Shapiro? Ooh. But no, yeah, I, I think they do a pretty good job of establishing all that. And I think as, even when like she ends up having like the little fling she has with Aaron Yo, um, very young on, Aaron Yo, yep, very young, yeah, right. Uh, where it's it's more of like this uh, thing where it's like, hey, look, I'm I was just like having this fun thing. They never demonize her necessarily for that. A worse movie would do that. And I think they do a great job of like firmly establishing who she is, and she has like some regret about how it ended up. But at the same time, she's totally treated in the right of just like, no, like, I, I totally get why she would kind of cut, cut off contact at that awkward moment with him. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's no moment where, you know, he ca- and excuse my language, but you see it all the time in movies and especially guy to female, but, you know, relationships when this type of thing happens. But there's no moment where he confronts her and calls her a fucking whore or any of that stuff. And, you know, she goes back to him, and uh, they, which is great because that's not realistic. Uh, she, she, yeah, she might feel shitty about it at first or something, but then she smiles, you know, she's like, all right, cool. Like we're cool. I really appreciate that. Yeah. They give her a lot more of an arc and sort of that kind of like dimensionality compared to like Fomka Jensen and the, the relationship with like her and Kingsley, mm-hmm. which I think feels much more like they sideline her. It's just like, oh my God, she's not that attentive to him or whatever. And they're like, they treat at least like Kingsley's very much like a flawed person. But at the same time, it's hard for me to get on board with a dude who states his motivation very clearly. It's like, I want to cheat on my wife. I want to fuck it around. You also get the feeling that maybe she has done that too. Like it's a dead marriage. Right. There's no question. The marriage is way been over probably at this point for years. But yeah, I agree. There's not really much there. The only time we get some kind of dimensionality out of her is when they talk about the time where, like, oh, we like stayed up all night and on New Year's Eve and stored your that coke that you found back from yeah. the '80s or whatever. And he's like, "Oh, what happened to us?" And she's like, "Are you fucking kidding? Like, <laughs> you you know how that happens? <laughs> you know what's happening here? <laughs> this marriage right. is so fucking right. dead." But that's the only really thing we get, as opposed to him with like the oh, I'm like so despondent from my wife and I have all these like mixed emotions it's all about like my conflicting character focused relationship you know even though it's like I don't know man you seem kind of like a douche a fun douche but you're very much a douche still 
Well, you can't forget about the other great character of the movie in uh, 94 New York, which is its own character. Oh, of course, yeah. Also, Method Man with that terrible fucking Jamaican accent. Yeah, that was a decision. <laughs> Not very method of you, Method Man. No, no. Your name is a lie, sir. Um, <laughs> but I will say the soundtrack is fucking great. It is a great, great early 90s hip-hop soundtrack. The moment when I first heard, like, the Biggie song right from the get-go, I'm like, oh, this is why Adam liked this movie a lot. Because <laughs> uh, just like, here, this, were you actually, like, the, the music coordinator on this film, Adam? Is that the secret? It's, I mean, I don't want to give it away, but... <laughs> possibly... But no, it's a really great soundtrack. Yeah, I agree. It gives you more immersion into that time, I think, than a lot of the visual indicators do necessarily. Um, or even like the like the lazier stuff, like I mentioned, like the 90210 references, all this other shit. Like that that element of like the, the, the soundtrack that's going on in the background works. And even that like uh, Peck is getting Kingsley kind of into rap at the same time. <laughs> I think like, yeah, it's a fun yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, they did also the constant references to Giuliani. You're like, yeah, we get it. We get it. It's, it's, oh, wait, is this New York in the 90s? I wonder yeah. if people have thoughts wow, on crazy. Rudy Giuliani. All right. But I will say they did do a good job of, like, dressing down Times Square and stuff to make it look, like, kind of older and shitty. Like, it looked th- enough like the period. Like, it worked. Right. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, though I will say, in terms of the look, um, I think probably my biggest, like, sort of filmmaking issue with this movie is that weird sapia tone filter they put over the whole fucking movie. I think it looks so, like, drab and dull. <laughs> Like, I know they're trying to kind of make it look like almost like it's a nostalgic thing, like looking back in 1994, but it's like, dude, this looks just like shitty. I mean, maybe it's it's, it's that. I also got the idea that because it's summertime and it's hot and they're outside, like that's all sun washed. But yeah, you might be right. I don't know. I don't know. What yeah, the fuck I don't do know. I know. You can still have color. Like Spike Lee did that and do the right thing, but he had like color in his fucking movie. Well, <laughs> Spike Lee, Jonathan Levine is not. What? What? No, uh, sorry. I can't believe it. No. Shockingly. No. I guess, like, visually, the best sort of looking sequence is the bit where they are on the beach. Mm. I think that's where, where it does have a bit more of that vibrancy. Um, and, like, even their sort of shower sex scene where he says, I love you. And has, oh, like, that man. terrible... Like, they, oh, I, I like how he kind of, like, makes it look idealistic and then has that cringy bit there just to me, like, oh, the illusion's broken. There's nothing here that works about this. Like you said, I, I love you. Whoa, dude. And she walks away. And in the look on his face, it's just, oh, he's destroyed. He is just absolutely destroyed. But they just really nerd him up, too, though, man. Like, after he, they finally do have sex and he's crying. Like, you're like, oh. My favorite bit is right before that, though, where he talks about just like, you know, I haven't maybe um, exclusively had sex yet. Like, you're a virgin? No. I just haven't, like officially had sex yet. Yeah, no, hell no. I just actually ain't had sex. And she's like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the biggest yeah. thing I can say about Peck's performances. It definitely feels like a white kid in New York who was really into rap at that particular yep. time. It yep, was very 100%. much like that. For all of the positive but far more negative qualities of that. Yes. No, he's absolutely that kid. Not even necessarily New York specific. I know people like this. I have... Of certain family members who are still acting like this and they're my age. Like, yeah, all right, time to grow up. Right, right. Uh, but what do you think of Peck's turn here? Especially, like, we've mentioned the kind of thing of, like, oh, kid star graduating up to adult. Um, do you think he seems as one of the better examples of that in recent memory? Yeah, I think he's pretty solid in it. I, I think 
you know, it's, I mean, yeah, he's good. He's fine. Yeah, I mean, I would say so. It definitely, at least, it's not as, like, say, you know, exploitative or shallow as, like, a lot of young uh, female stars have to go through with that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, he, it, it's very much more of, like, hey, you have, like, some sexual situations you get into, but they only see your shirt, basically, dude. That's a, you see his butt. You see his right, butt. That, that's true. You do see his butt, which I think is also a thing of, like, which I get. It was just like, hey, I just got skinny. I want to show off that I have a butt. <laughs> Right. And everything else like that. Good on him. Like you mentioned, I think him and Kingsley do have a really solid chemistry with each other. The movie's trying to have that connection point be very much like, oh, this like middle-aged man and this young man have very similar crossroad points uh, where they're both kind of like lost in the city and they're trying to like kind of find some path for themselves and they just meet on those crossroads. I think there's a lot of like interesting elements to that. I think, like I said, like the um, scenes where they're kind of like talking one-on-one during the sessions, like when Kingsley does the whole thing about like, well, you need to mess up your life, get your balls sucked to fall in a gutter. <laughs> All that other shit. It's just like, it's silly, but like it's in a way that like still works for like this would be an overzealous middle-aged man trying to like bring his sort of like lost youth to this kid. Oh, yeah, but absolutely. Like, right, but at the same time, it's very much just about like, oh, you both aren't sadly too far apart from each other and that's really sad for one person and kind of sad for the younger one (laughs) right right don't trust anybody who doesn't like bob dylan and don't ever ever trust anybody who says they don't like dogs don't ever trust people who say they don't like fucking dogs i'm going into the ocean (laughs) another person before we get to final thoughts we should probably talk about is ben kingsley uh, yeah who obviously um has has an interesting career trajectory we've talked about many times, including just this year, he was also in, like, along with the Wackness, stuff like Trans-Siberia and Elegy and The Love Guru. <laughs> like, this was, this was peak, especially him, like, doing not just paychecks, but as many as he possibly could. <laughs> he was, like, in five movies every fucking year for, like, around this time. Um, how do you think this sort of ranks amongst the uh, modern Kingsley performances? Well, I mean, amongst the modern Kingsley performances, I think it's a pretty solid one, maybe a forgettable one. But the thing about Kingsley is, I think Kingsley, when Kingsley wants to be on, he's fucking great. Like, when he really is going for it. Like a Pacino type. You know, when they're really going for it and they're really committed to it, they can be just wonderful. Uh, Other than that, you know, paychecks. You can't really fault him for it, but yeah, I think Kingsley's really solid, man. I mean, eight years before this is my favorite performance of his ever in Sexy Beast. So, you know, yeah, he's pretty fucking great. (laughs) But uh, yeah, yeah, when he's on, he's on. Uh, It's just, you know, they get complacent. Right. But at the same time, I I like this because you feel that there's this camaraderie, like I mentioned with Peck here, to where Peck said, like, even before this movie came out, that, like, Kingsley was his favorite actor of all time. So you can see that kind of reverence in Peck's eyes. And at the same time, you can see that Kingsley sort of respects that kind of, like, um, that appreciation that Peck clearly has for him, but at the same time is, uh, you know, willing to kind of have, like, this kind of fun where it's like, look, I appreciate you being, you know, sort of this, you know, reverent kid, but at the same time, let's have some fun, let's bullshit around, let's do this, let's do that, and I think that works very much for the dynamic that the movie's going for. Yeah, absolutely, and I fucking love that that's his fucking hat. Yep, that's his hat. (laughs) That's Ben Kingsley's hat, real life, I love it. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense, and I think that's probably my favorite of sort of the the wackier elements of this, uh, which would get him fucking like disbarred or whatever from being a psychiatrist. But him actually helping out with the weed dealing, I think, mm-hmm. is like a cute sequence, a cute montage. It's just like, 
oh yeah, you should come by my practice and we'll help out. Um, so how much marijuana can I sell you today? <laughs> like that's cute. It's a fun <laughs> yeah, when he's dancing in front of one of Method Man's guys, like Bob Beckford, stop that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> right, right, and I, and I do uh, like the little sort of coda of him ending up uh, with. Um, the Jane Adams character, who also I think is my favorite of like the various weed customers. Yeah, Eleanor, she's great. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah, she's fucking great, dude. She's so fucking great, and just how much she she really wants to be like friendly with her drug dealer, like that type of person, and just like, um, mm-hmm. we're gonna go. <laughs> Get- really wants you to listen to her music or understand that she was in a band. Right, and Bing King's just like, I loved your music. Oh my, I told him. And this is so, if anything, I wish that relationship was in more of the fucking movie. Because <laughs> I Me think like, they're very cute together. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, but yeah, I, I mean, I think there's potential here for this to be a great movie. I know there are some people who really love this movie. And I still think it's good. Uh, but is it one that I would necessarily revisit again? Probably not, unless it was with somebody who hadn't seen it and was interested. Uh, but I think, you know, it's it's fine for what it is. It's a it's a good little independent movie. Yeah, uh, I mean, those sound like pretty good final thoughts, unless you have anything else to add, Adam. No. For me, uh, I, I thought it was, like, you know, a, a cute little movie. Definitely not a great one. I, like I said, I feel like Jonathan Levine, uh, this is him at an early stage kind of, you know, doing a lesser version of what he would perfect uh, or at least do a much better job at with some of his later movies. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, there's some fun things. I think Peck's very good and Kingsley's fun. Uh, it, it's a very cute little movie in its own right. But I agree that I think uh, it's one that I will, uh, of the sort of good picks we've had for the show in particular, I feel like it'd be one that will uh, disappear quickly out the mind. I'm glad I saw it like 24 hours ago. <laughs> oh, aren't you fucking cool? <laughs> yep, I'm not whack at all, as the kids say. Circa 1994. I disagree strongly. <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about a much more whack movie, I would argue, Adam, with our bad feature here, Dear Evan Hansen. Dear Evan Hansen. I wish everything was different. I've learned to slam on the brake. Wish I was part of something. Wish that anything I said mattered. Before I even turned the There are a lot of people who feel like us. never meant to make it such a mess. I have to tell them. So, Dear Evan Hansen uh, came out September 24th, 2021. How a year has flown by since Dear Evan Hansen graced us with his presence. Uh, from uh, director Stephen Jaboski, uh, from writer Stephen Levinson, uh, who had co-written the musical uh, that this is based on with... Uh, Benji Pasek and Justin Paul. Uh, well, th- this was sort of the musical that broke them out on Broadway in 2015, and then they would go on to write the music for uh, La La Land and uh, The Greatest Showman. Uh, so very poppy musicals um, that really att- attracted people. And you know, uh, this musical was very successful on Broadway. It won six Tonys, uh, including Best Musical, Best Score, and Best Leading Actor uh, for Mr. Ben Platt, uh, who reprises his role here for this film. That um, Despite this being a very popular musical, this movie was uh, sort of critically reviled and became a massive meme because uh, Platt, who was uh, 27 when they filmed this, is playing the titular high school character. And uh, that resulted in this movie sort of like big, massive failing. Uh, But, you know, a year has come and gone. The dust has settled. I guess the question is, Adam, 
after a whole year, does it still live up to that terrible reputation it had? Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah very much so. It's a very fucking bad movie. <laughs> it's very terrible. Uh, it's, it's just, it's fucking terrible. And this is saying something, because, like, we've talked many times about our, you know, uh, differing opinions on musicals in general. You're usually not a fan. I usually am. Uh, but I think it says something that we both come to the mutually, uh, you know, shared opinion that this is so fucking terrible. <laughs> so it doesn't really work for anybody. I mean, to the point that, you know, everyone knows we do movie nights and stuff. We we literally said when we knew this was coming out on streaming, like, oh, we have to do a movie night for that movie. Because you know it's going to be bad. And it's one of the most fun I've ever had doing a movie night. Uh, just because... All we did was make fun of it the entire movie. And the thing is, I know the movie deals with very heavy subject matter and things like that, you know, and, and it is there. But it's also handled so poorly, so ridiculously poorly, to where it, you can't help but laugh, even if it's to laugh at the offensive nature of a lot of it, or the really creepy gaslighting that happens. And just there's so much wrong with the way this movie is presented and this story that you just what the fuck is this like what what the fuck the main guy that you're supposed to care about he's a monster he's a horrible human being and again buddy <laughs> you're clearly not eight, 17 or 18 or whatever the fuck like I know that shit it, like oh we guys in Greece were that age and whatever the fuck which was something Platt literally said like his like response to the when the trailer came out was like look hey if I wasn't in the movie it wouldn't get made and plus you know Greece happened but the difference with Greece is John Travolta wasn't like attempting to woo like I don't know around that time like Jamie Lee Curtis circa Halloween, where there's a clear age difference. It's like yeah. Olivia Newton-John, who was around his age, and everyone else right. looked like old teenagers, basically. That's fine. If that was the case, or if everyone looked around the same age as, like, younger, like you, and you cast younger actors. Versus here, there are so many scenes where he's, uh, you know, trying to woo Caitlin Deaver, cool. which... Even regardless of, like, all of the elements that are creepy in the story, like, and the fact that they aren't actually that big in age difference, there's like only, like, a four-year difference, I think, in their ages, um, she looks so much younger, and there are so many scenes of him, like, luring over like he's a fucking Dracula trying to... <laughs> it's like Abe Vigoda trying to get Anna Klumsky. Like, it's really fucking weird. Well, it's especially be weird now, given Abe Vigoda's been, like, dead for a decade, I think. That's yeah, even worse, yeah. He's on strings. Um. <laughs> Which, to be fair, in this movie, it doesn't help that... I don't think it's just Platt's age, obviously. I think it's also the way that Stephen Chabosky shoots him in this movie. It's unsettling. It's just, like, the way it's lit, all the camera angles, they make him look so fucking bad, like, even more so than he would if it was just him in, like, good lighting or good camera angles. They choose all his wrong angles. His crying face is one of the most horrific things I've ever seen in my life. Um, and then it's, like, the way they shoot him, he looks like he's got puffy face all the time, like he's, like, got way too much makeup on because he was on a bender. Like a drinking bender overnight, like he just or doesn't like they're trying to way good. overcompensate to make him look younger. <laughs> way overcompensate. They, this guy has so much makeup on his face; it's not even funny. 
Oh yeah, put no, just walk with a little bit more forward head posture. That'll make me look young. Where like it looks like Nasratu going up the stairs. Like it just doesn't it doesn't work, dude. I'm it's especially about- not helped by like Platt's decisions to do stuff like the hand gestures and those oh, other God. things that oh, are trying so to like I bad. get what he's going for in terms of it's trying to be like, oh, this is like a socially awkward kid who doesn't know what to do with his hands. Yeah, it's his nervous ticks or something like right. that. I get it. Right. But the way that it ends up coming off is less that and more like a guy who does not know ASL, but is like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll wing some stuff with my hands and people who can read sign language can get it, right? And anyone who looks at him just like, no, dude, this means nothing. What the fuck is this where he's just like right. doing that one song doing? where like they're oh. sitting at the dinner table and he's just like, oh, and I went up the tree and then this happened here. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing with your hands? And, you know, again, and I, all right. So obviously we know the reason he climbed the tree now because he was going to try. He jumped to try to kill himself. Okay. Right. That's the tragic. Awful. Yeah. Dude, right. what, a, what a twist. But I think my favorite thing in the world about this movie is that he just tells everybody that him and uh, the kid were out climbing trees together at the apple orchard and everybody just buys it. That these two like seventeen eight year old boys were just hanging out in the apple orchard, climbing trees for fun. No, no, you weren't. <laughs> you fucking liar. <laughs> like if you said we were out there smoking weed, climbed a tree, and fell out of it because you we were so damn stoned. All right, I'll give you that. But just like, well, we want to see how high we can climb. Oh man, oh boy. To fair, I also don't believe that dude would smoke weed. Like, that also would be a tell. If he did, he would call it grass, and he wouldn't inhale. Well, no, I mean, they make that joke at one point when they're doing, like, the dumb email song where it's just like, oh, uh, you smoke drugs. Yeah, right, what he exactly. writes out. Yeah, right. exactly. Right, 100% that that kid. I smoked some drugs and I had some malt liquor. <laughs> You're like, fuck you. Man. It's like a Budweiser. It's like yeah, a Budweiser. It's a Zima. It's a it's... <laughs> He's got a Zemo with a Jolly Rancher in it. No. No, it's going to get me buzzed. (laughs) (laughs) The gaslighting shit, I mean, I can't address enough how disturbing and gross it is. Especially where, you know, he's telling her all the stuff that he feels about her, but it was, like, from her brother's point of view, supposedly. yeah, because, like, the thing is, when this initially starts happening, if, one, he looked like an actual kid, and, two... It stopped at just, oh, these people really want to believe that this letter I wrote to myself as a therapy thing was actually from their son who they didn't have any contact with. Like, if that was the initial thing, it's like, okay, I could get, well, well you would feel like this would, like, help them out and be beneficial if, if you were that kid. But one, he looks like he's fucking 30 or older. So it's like, no, dude, you would know better than to do that. And two, more importantly, even if it was a younger looking actor, the moment that song happens that you're referring to, the song where Caitlin Deaver is just like, I didn't know anything about my brother. And we had a really tumultuous relationship. Can you tell me, can you tell me through an expositional song, Evan Hansen, about the things he said to you about me in private? And it's all the stuff from his letter because he's crushing on this girl. And it's all very creepy to the degree that if I was that sister, I'd be like, did my brother have a crush on me? This is really fucked up. What? Is my brother hoping I get stuck in a dryer? This is fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fucked up. Yep. It's really fucked up. And the thing, again, I think you hit the nail on the head, too. The, like, yeah, of course, you know, if this was something you tried to do because, you know, this family reached out to him and it's a very crazy circumstance and obviously he doesn't have that good of a home life so you know he fits in with them and it makes both of them feel better through mutual circumstance all right 
I'll give you that shit, fine. But then there's just so many things that make me like, I gotta get away from this fucking guy. The way he's laughing on the fucking roller coaster alone, I'd be like, all right, <laughs> like I'm done with this guy. I'm getting off this roller coaster <laughs> mid Stop this fucking coach. Stop this thing. He's going, whoa, whoa. This movie's terrible. <laughs> I fucking hate it so much. A- another thing, just the staging of the musical numbers is like some of the laziest shit I've ever seen. Where like, aside from that one like weird sort of black comedy number about writing the emails, like most of these songs are staged with just people like sitting down on a couch or at a dinner table and like one person singing the other. Like Evan Hansen sings like 85% of the songs. To the degree that's like, are people like, obviously in musical theater, it should be like, okay, like this is him expressing his feelings and we're seeing it through a song versus like in this movie, the way it's staged is just like, is he just actually singing in the reality of this fucking movie? A hundred percent. Like, is he just singing to Amy Adams right now? Like they're saying that dinner, (laughs) this fucking guy over pot roast just starts busting out a song. Like, get the fuck out of my house, man. What the fuck are you doing? Like yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like, what did my brother think about me? Burst out into song. Like, oh god, no, no, no. I can't stress enough how miscast. I understand. You know, he was the role on Broadway, and his dad's a big part of the production and all that stuff. Like, I, I totally get it. But if they would have honestly just cast the actor that played the brother as him and flipped the roles, it would have made more sense. Right, and that guy, I think, is a much better actor based on, like, his few scenes. And even, like, the, the, the song that he gets, the dark comedy number where he dances and sings, like, that's probably, like, the highlight of the music in the movie. Yep, and he looks age-appropriate. And it would make sense that, you know, the, the fucking Platt character would be sort of this bully and everything, because he could be like, oh, he's been held back a couple of years and stuff, and, like, really <laughs> Many because I mean, years. Yeah. You got, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she used to teach here. It's weird. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, don't you remember Principal Hanson? Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's just, it's so bizarre. I, it's so hard to even get into. Like, granted, I'm not a musical guy. We've already said that, and I've said it a thousand times. But there are some that I'll be like, all right, cool. Like, In the Heights, got into it, liked it. Loved it. You know, Phantom of the Opera, as we talked about on the Patreon. Love it. There are some that I can do. This is just instantly, once you introduce to him, I'm out. Like, I'm out of it. It Because it's so unbelievable and so weird and uncanny and just kind of awkward. Where, I mean, it, nah. I'm watching this grown-ass man hang out with these high school kids singing about being in love with one of them. Like, it's just creepy. Right, and, and, like, I watched some footage of, like, Platt on Broadway and stuff like that from, like, obviously, like, these shaky cam things that are on YouTube or whatever. And the thing is, from an extreme distance of most people on the Broadway stage and with those particular lights that would be on Broadway, I can get how you'd be like, all right, I, I can believe this for now, for this, like, two-hour-long musical or whatever. All suspension of disbelief is gone the moment you have a close-up on fucking Ben Platt's face for this. Not helped also just by the fact that, like, even as a musical fan, like, I have this problem with Pasek and Paul, their, like, songs. They're so just, like, generic pop songs translated as, like, musical numbers. But, like, the way all the songs are structured in the same fashion, where it's just like, let me sing like this, 
and then we'll keep singing, and then, like, the bridge that they keep fucking repeating of all these songs, or, like, certain words, like, in that fucking opening number, the whole, like, tap, 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 and, and they have to cut from each other side of it as he's fucking doing it to the mirror. It's so, fu- like, all the songs are, like, gratingly forgettable. Yeah, I mean, the the window one, which, that's all, the only reason I, I only know the word window. Like, just because he says it's so fucking weird. There's that one in- Truck. Oh, truck. Oh, truck. Oh, truck. Oh, poor Julianne Moore. Truck. <laughs> oh, yeah. Truck. I mean, Julianne Moore, they, they instantly age her by like 20 years that she's supposed to be this kid's mob. <laughs> like, it's so bizarre. Like, it's a weird Dr. Moreau situation happening. Like, I just, like, she's this fucking guy's mob. Hey, what's up, mob? Oh, we got any brown paper bags so we can make book covers. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I, I just feel so bad though for like her and Amy Adams and Caitlin Deaver who are trying so hard to make this work. Like they are trying against all odds to make this work as much as they can. But I don't think he's not either though. Like, well, the thing is, they're trying, and they're I quite frankly, they at least feel like they're not overcompensating. That's the thing is that they all are trying and they have like the comments because they're like actors who don't feel like they have to overcompensate for like, oh, I don't look like a teenager. As opposed to Platt is trying to a degree that makes it just uncomfortable in any scene. Like any scene where he's with these other like women or any of these other people in this movie, I am just fearing for the safety of his scene partner. <laughs> it just feels like this guy is trying far too hard in a way where I'm like, is he dangerous? Maybe you should get away from him. Not helped by the character being, as we mentioned, uh, awful. A Machiavellian monster man who does not deserve any happiness because he's a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, he's a terrible, terrible human being. And I kind of wish that, you know, he would go into a big windmill at the end and they'd set it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Even Karloff's Frankenstein would be just like, bad man. No, no, not young. No. (laughs) We belong dead, by which I mean you belong dead. By we, I mean you. You (laughs) fucking freak show. (laughs) (laughs) He wears baby blue and khaki all the time. Like, get the fuck. Oh, I can't. Like, he just walked out of fucking Bells with, like, the square uniform. (laughs) Or, or, yeah, or he's like, I'm going to try to be Justin Timberlake on a budget. <laughs> Look at my curly hair, aren't I Justin Timberlake? <laughs> like, the, oh, hair, the hair is also, like, especially just like, oh, man, you're trying really hard to hide that you have a uh, hairline. <laughs> yeah, and, like, it's, if you've seen him, he does have naturally curly hair. But it just ages him again. It ages him so much. Like, he, he, like dude, come on. Do something with this kid. Shave his head. Have, have close cropped hair. Like, it's just, it doesn't make sense. Everything they try to do to make him look younger makes him look older. Or just makes him look like not even quite like a human. Yeah, yeah, yeah it just... makes him look like he like he's from Polar Express. <laughs> there's an uncanny valley thing with this. Yeah, there's an uncanny valley thing with Ben Platt, which is strange because he's a real man. But it's just like, oh god, I can't tell if he's. I think he's supposed to be looking at me. <laughs> That's true, and just surrounded once again by like a bunch of people who look far younger than him, or even were like the adults. Like whenever he's in the scene with like Amy Adams or Julianne Moore, it's just like you're not too distant compared by comparison to everyone else. Amy Adams, like he's the like. 
Like, she's his older sister, basically. Yeah, he's the washout punk brother who's back for Christmas. You know what I mean? Like, they're just hanging out. Like, he doesn't look like, oh, you're in high school with my daughter? Yeah. I can't have sausage on my pizza because it gives me indigestion, mom. <laughs> well, it's – and also, like, even with, like, the character, I think the biggest thing is that there are so many points when he's hanging out with like, that, that whole family, the Murphys. There are so many points where they could at least give us that, you know, bridge of, like, hey, um, even though he, like, obviously stepped into this with a horrible lie, he could, like, open up a bit more. Like, there's the point where the mom says about, like, oh, yeah, uh, Connor never got invited to any party, but I got this tie for him. It was bar mitzvah season. And just a small connection of just, like, I also had, you know, I didn't get invited to many parties. Or the dad, the stepdad, later on, were just like, oh, you know, your dad must be very proud to have a son like you. And he doesn't say anything about his dad being absent from his life. Anything. <laughs> You mean Danny Pino, the Latin god? Yes. Yeah, dude, so fucking good looking. Anyhow, yeah, no, I, yeah, I mean, good god. Uh, but I, yeah, completely. Like, nothing. Not like, well, my dad, oh, uh, yeah, he's gone. I mean, anything. Say anything. Just like, I'll take your baseball. <laughs> Fuck you, Evan. Fuck you, Evan, you piece of shit. Right, and just like all of the stuff he's saying to them is just based on the lies that he creates about Connor. And it's the same thing with even, like, we haven't mentioned anything about the Amalda Stahlberg, like, fucking subplot, where it's just like, he has the one connecting point with her of just like, oh yeah, I take a lot of, you know, um, prescription drugs as well. But it's like, that's like their one connection with each other. Then it's like, okay, um, how about I do a Kickstarter campaign <laughs> so we can, like, make this whole entire, like, orchard dedicated to fucking Connor based on this whole lie. And then, uh, like, she's so dedicated to that that it's like, do you think this is going to, like, stop any kind of teen suicide by just having this Kickstarter campaign work? Like, you're going really hard into this in a way that's, like, bizarre, quite frankly. I know. And then it's like, she figures it out. And then... Well, no. She initially kind of figures it out. And he's like, no, hey, look, here's proof. Here's the letter. But don't show it to anybody. Okay. Post online. Get the Kickstarter, like, over the fucking thing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She blows it up. Right. Yep. He he gets him, like, they get all this stuff and all the same. Now the orchard's named after Connor, so everything's good now. There's no, like, they mention offhand, like, counseling, and then they never show one scene of anybody counseling about, like, a real issue. That's another big problem with this movie. Yeah. It brings up all these, so- like, sociopathy? You mean? Well, I mean, not, not that in terms of more about, like, t- uh, teen uh, suicide oh. risk. Oh, okay. Well, because I was say, if it's about Evans, a sociopath. Well, to be fair, yeah, it would be a, it would be an AA meeting of one. But then, like, they bring up all these issues about, like, oh, hey, you know, like, teen suicide, which is obviously, like, a real tragic thing. Yeah, it's awful. It affects, like, so many people all the time. And it's like, okay, if you were going to bring up any of these issues, I'm fine with that, even in, like, a musical format. But the way that they end up, like, divulging it is through, once again, this huge lie that's construed. And there's not really that much consequence for anything Evan does. No, he still gets, he still graduates, he still, all that stuff still happens. No, he's fine, man. He's fine. He just, he couldn't go to school that semester, so he has to, like, save some money for a year. Oh, man, what a bummer. But, yeah, that's the, you know, that's, I guess, the real thing about this movie that really irks me, too, is you go through all this shit. You go through this, this Frankenstein boy of a man creature 
exploiting this family and there's tragedy and suffering and all of these things and nothing really happens. He still gets to see his, his ex-girlfriend at the end and the apple orchard is still named after the kid and he's pretty much fine. Yeah, there's no real consequence Not to at all. all these horrible actions. And the thing is, like, if you're going to do that, then either make this a black comedy where you're in on the fact that this is horrible and upsetting, kind of like, I don't know, a much better movie than This World's Greatest Dad, which has a lot of similar themes and does it in a completely straight, like, black comedy way that works perfectly for that movie. Or you play this straight, but you emphasize that Evan is a monster. Like he's like all these actions are like Richard the Third level monstrous, awful things. Yeah, it's he's terrible. Doing. It's terrible. right, but but they try and like still make you sympathetic. We're just like, oh, I feel sad, and I, you know, I also attempted suicide. So like, well, that's that's a shame, man. Uh, but also that doesn't excuse the fact that you're fucking awful to everyone, and you shouldn't have friends because you're a piece of shit. Yeah, right, dude. He deserves nothing. He deserves to be alone after this type of shit because look at how he acts with people. Like, he, he just, he's a habitual liar. He has sociopathic tendencies. He gaslights, almost sexually abuses somebody because of the way he gets to where they are. Like, it's just gross. He's gross and disgusting, and I really hate him. And uh, he's clearly not 18. Yeah, of all, uh, we're still recording this in October, everybody. And uh, this is the scariest film I have seen so far this October. Yep. <laughs> By a long yep. shot. Dear Evan Hansen, a true monster for the modern age. Fuck Jigsaw. <laughs> and fuck any other, like, 21st century era monster. Fuck a Cory in Halloween Ends. Throw Evan Hansen in there. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like in the Michael cast. Myers mask, just like tap, tap, tapping on the window. <laughs> yep, with his cast. <laughs> Do you want to slide it before I kill you? Go. But to be fair, if that were to happen, Michael in the sewer would have fucking murdered that guy instantaneously. Beat the, beat the fucking polo off him right away. It would have been that one scene from Halloween Kills, but it's just him instead of Michael Myers, and Michael Myers is in the crowd <laughs> beating him up. And everybody that got killed in Halloween Kills, it's just... <laughs> it's just multiple scenes it's of fucking Evan Hansen getting beaten. <laughs> multiple Evan Hansen. Oh no, that's the twist, is that he's like, there's multiple Evan Hansen. That's the horrible monster twist. At the end, there's an army of Evan Hansen's waving through the windows. <laughs> See, yeah, this movie's fun, isn't it? We, we have yeah, it's fun. great. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> but I guess, Adam, before we get out of here, I'm curious. So, obviously, we you mentioned that we laughed at it so much. Would you call this necessarily a so bad it's good movie or more of maybe the train wreck bad that we like talking about on the show? Where it's just like every multiple bad decision that's going on could go wrong. This is the train wreck. This is absolutely uh, just a full, full train wreck. There's nothing really redeeming about this film at all uh the music's not even good not, nothing really but it's almost one of those where you kind of want people to see it before you talk about it because when you talk about people are like i would never watch that why the fuck would i watch that and so it's like oh, okay never mind so you kind of want people to watch it so you can be like am i right it was fucking terrible but i i, I never want to watch it again <laughs> i'll tell you that but I would love for new people who haven't seen this to watch it and then just confirm everything we said. I mean, we already know we're right. But I just want other people to shit on it with. 
Right, you want people to prove that this exists, so you're not being gaslit by Evan Hansen like everyone else in the movie. Just like, no, see, this is real, right? This is all real. Wait a minute. I did just meet a very tall, hunchback-looking fellow with a cast on his arm who was climbing the tree outside my house. <laughs> and waving through the, your window. Right now he is. He's tapping at it. Hey! <laughs> tap, tap, tap. <laughs> tap, tap, tap a -roo. <laughs> I have several apple orchards around my house. Oh no! No oh, no! <laughs> oh, oh god! I know what I'm dressing as for Halloween. That's true. The, the Evan Hansen truly is like the 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 legendary apple orchard <laughs> tapper. Evan Hansen's the new Leslie Vernon. <laughs> we need a documentary crew to document that he exists somehow. <laughs> yes, we need proof. Uh, get that chick from Home Alone again to do it. I don't care. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would agree that it's way more of the train wreck bad. Because I think there's definitely not... Despite the fact that when we watched this together, we were having so much fun making fun of the movie. Um, this is definitely not one that would necessarily be a laugh riot for everybody involved. Like, the only way you can really have any kind of enjoyment out of this is just being fascinated by every single weird step they take. Like, there's certain things we even mentioned, like the whole Jared character who is, like, this guy who's the quote-unquote best friend of Evan Hansen. Who just treats him like shit. Right, who treats him like shit, and is like, hey, I'm a gay character, so I can make, like, weird homophobic jokes in the fucking one song. Which is like, no, they're totally not gay, bro. Which, to be fair, apparently, in the musical, he is not gay. Right, there's a No, he's just a homophobic. He's homophobic. Right, yes. But, like, there are certain other things that, like, I'd heard about in the musical that I'm at least like, well, at least they dodged some of these bullets. I think this is just, like, a cursed thing, this musical. With stuff like, apparently, the Alana character was not nearly as sympathetic and more just, like, a vapid, Twitter-obsessed, kind of, like, social media person. Um, and there would be more visions of Connor coming to Evan about, like, yeah, keep doing it, Evan. Keep doing all these things. <laughs> and even at the very end, the big thing I found out recently, I'm like, oh, this is fucking baffling. The Murphys find out about everything that Evan Hans is doing, and are like, we'll keep this to ourselves. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, you don't need that. You don't want that public image blow up. Get the fuck out of here with this Well, even garbage. though he's responsible for it, because, like, he put, that letter gets put out, and then for some reason everybody, like, starts bad-mouthing the Murphy parents, and they dox them? Apparently? Like, their address is revealed online and shit like that? Jesus Christ! Yeah, no, yeah, that's right, that's right. And everybody's like, oh, they're terrible people. They no wonder Connor killed himself. Even though, based on that letter, the only thing that you would probably say is just like, does this kid want to fuck his sister? What mm -hmm. is this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie fucking sucks. <laughs> well, anything else to add, Adam, to that? No, dude. This, I mean, I don't have a lot for final thoughts on either movie tonight, but this one, it's just, it's... It, it, I only gave this movie, you know, and again, I know we don't usually do ratings on this, but because I'm Letterboxd, I feel like if I leave it empty, I, I it bothers me. So this is one of, like, maybe five movies that I actually gave a half star to. And I only gave it a half star just because of how much we laughed at it when we watched it. I mean, it's garbage. This is a garbage, garbage movie. Yep, to the degree that uh, I still remember a few years ago being recommended, like, oh, hey, you, Tom, you'd love this musical. Like, <laughs> now that's like, that's like a fucking insult to me. That is like, the anybody who would, like, necessarily uh, recommend this musical to you, uh, that's a red flag. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that's, that's a problem. Just, There's something right. going on there.
Yeah, there's something Right, there's they, something they, they do on. not respect you as a person. No, they think you're a fucking psychopath. You would identify with this, I think. Oh, really? I'll check it out. Jesus, what the fuck? <laughs> right, which that's even just like the stage musical that removed several things we talked about there, like make this, could have made this potentially even more batshit bizarre than it is. Like even the sequence where like he reveals that he had feelings for Caitlin Deaver originally took place in Connor's fucking bedroom. The only way that would be worse if it was at the funeral. That's still right, pretty bad. Right, both of those are still pretty bad. But at the same time, yeah, this movie is only fascinating just in terms of like how infamously bad decision was to like do many things, but the main thing, of course, being Ben Platt uh, starring in this movie. And it's, you know, not helped by Platt's response, but also even uh, the musical and the movie, uh, both produced by Mr. Mark Platt, his father. Yeah, so... You know, because without me, the movie would be made. Yeah, no shit. Maybe it shouldn't have been. How about that? Maybe it shouldn't have been. How about we just didn't do it then? Right. <laughs> That's a long way of just saying, like, maybe this shouldn't have happened. Maybe this was a mistake on everybody's part. And yeah. That's what this definitely feels like. It's a weird, fascinating mistake that, at the same time, it's not as fascinating as, say, like, a movie we covered on the show previously, Cats. Cats is, like, far more fascinating. Cats is another level, like, crazy. <laughs> Right, Cats is at least, like, surreal and bizarre and is much more fascinating to watch. As opposed to, Dear Evan Hansen is more, once again, the train wreck thing of just like, oh my god, something horrible's happening over there, but I can't look away. <laughs> it's a car crash on the interstate. Yes. For sure. It's very much that, yes. But yeah, let's go ahead and get to our uh, regular segment then, Adam, the Double Redo. Double Redo. Double so the double redo is a segment we do every week in which uh, adam and i you know related to the topic uh go ahead and bring up a good movie we'd recommend to you all and a bad one we would steer you clear of uh so i'm going first so uh, for my good choice, I have uh, the film Slums of Beverly Hills, uh, which is a 1998 film uh, that stars um, a very young Natasha Leone um, as this uh, young woman who has moved with her family after, you know, they had uh, their money problems. So they've moved to a different apartment off on uh, the other side of Beverly Hills. Uh, they've moved around from place to place, basically at a whim, as led by their dad, Alan Arkin. And um, it's this interesting little slice of life sort of story that uh, I think is a great showcase for Leone. Obviously, she had acted in things before this, but I think it's a really great sort of very, especially like feminine focused uh, coming of age story about her just trying to somehow make this work with like, uh, obviously her only sort of uh, parental figure is her father um, who has very interesting twists and turns along the way. And also her uh, brother, David Crumholtz, who is very much more like self-obsessed with like all his own shit. And I think it's a, it's a fun little movie. I'd recommend to anybody out there. It deals in some dark territory, but at the same time, there's a lot of like fun cast members in here. And I think it's, it's a very interesting little cute uh, sort of coming of age story that still deals in like darker material in an interesting way. And then for my bad, I have uh, my alternate bad pick for this particular episode, uh, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl, which, like I mentioned at the end of our last episode, was a movie that everybody praised, everybody loved around the time it came out. It was like, oh, it's a cute little indie darling movie, and uh, I think it's fucking 
twee garbage, which like I usually like a good indie little like dramedy kind of movie. And can, this one. Can I like, ask you a question? What is twee? Yes. Like a movie that's very sort of like uh, cutesy, as it were, but in like an uh, indie way, kind of like oh, the worst version of a Wes Anderson. I, I gotcha. Yep, I right. gotcha. That makes right, a lot of right. sense. Yes, and um, this definitely feels like that to me in terms of it, it follows this young man uh, who is the me of the title, who's this film-obsessed high schooler who uh, loves like making little recreations of certain art films that he loves, um, and uh, basically imagine the worst version of like the Be Kind Rewind Sweden movies like the most pretentious up your own ass kind of versions of those. And um, while he's making these movies with his uh, best friend Earl, he ends up getting the attention of uh, the titular dying girl, uh, who is played by Olivia Cook, who is a very good actress and has uh, gone on to much better things after this. But this was sort of like her breakout. And uh, she plays this young girl who is dying of cancer. And the entire time, um, it's so much of the main character, the Thomas Mann character, being so like flippant about her you know, disease and everything, like her affliction, and being so like self-obsessed with like, no, we have to like film this thing or whatever. You have to join me, dying girl. And it's like this really creepy, upsetting, sort of like budding romance, quote unquote, with the two of them. Where it's like initially like, oh, they're just friends. Maybe there is more feelings. And then like by the time she ends up spoilers for this movie that spoils its title, uh, dies at the end of the movie. It feels just like, oh my god, I've learned my mistakes, even though we spent a solid like hour and a half of this dude being the worst piece of shit possible. And I have no sympathy for this dude. He has very much a sort of Evan Hansen-style arc in that he takes people who are actually suffering and bends them to his whiny whims. Because uh, fuck that guy. And fuck that movie. Okay, so I have seen both of your movies. It has been a long, long time since I've seen Slums of Beverly Hills. I remember liking it quite a bit, but I've always kind of liked um, Natasha Leone. I think she's very interesting as a person and as an actress, uh, but I haven't seen it forever to really comment on it, but I do remember thinking it's really solid. But uh, thank you for reminding me of that one, because I might want to check that out again. And uh, me, Earl and the Dying Girl, I saw once. There was enough. It's pretty fucking terrible. Uh, it's another one of those movies to where I couldn't get into it because the lead is so incredibly unlikable. Uh, so, yeah, pretty awful. Hell of a cast, though. Great cast. You know, Nick Offerman, John Bernthal shows up. I mean, it's really solid cast, but uh, pretty awful. So for my two picks, uh, my good pick is this really small little weird sci-fi slash horror slash post-apocalyptic movie that came out called Turbo Kid. It is just one of those movies that every time I see it, I just have such a blast. The actors are so fun in it. Uh, it's horribly violent and gory, but still kind of like whimsical and fun. There is an arm wrestling champion who is one of the heroes, and he's great. Uh, it's just, it's a super fun little movie. I believe it's out of Australia and it's like a Aust joint Australia, New Zealand, uh, film. It, it's just, it's so fun and it's very low budget. They stretch every inch of that budget and it just, it works for me a hundred percent. You follow the main kid, turbo kid, the titular character and just sort of how he becomes who he becomes through this horrible wasteland. And it's just super fun and cute and, like I said, violent and gory, but it's got a real sense of heart to the whole thing. And for my bad, now this one a lot of people might not agree with. Uh, one of them might be my co-host. 
I have Licorice Pizza, the newest uh, Paul Thomas Anderson film. Um, like the acting's great, the cinematography's good, the you know everything is the music works. Bradley Cooper's super fun in it, in a real creepy dickhead way. Um, just nothing about it really connected for me and i don't understand i I couldn't tell you why uh mainly i guess if i had to it's just that i don't think anybody in the movie is likable at all so i'm trying to get invested in sort of these relationships that are happening and all that and i don't really care like i didn't care about any of it which you know again uh, some people don't need that for a movie but i'm definitely one of those people kind of do especially if i'm watching a coming of age sort of finding yourself slash teen romance slash the times are changing type of movie it just it didn't connect for me or work with me at all uh which is a shame because i normally like thomas anderson films but it just yeah i don't know this one was a big disappointment well um i haven't seen turbo kid that's one of those that definitely had heard about about a decade ago when it came out and just has always been you know on the watch list never have uh, dug into it i should probably do that sooner rather than later especially after this hearty recommendation from adam um but licorice pizza yeah i really enjoyed licorice pizza admittingly um i'm so glad that we're at least distant from like the awards sort of circuit of it because the discourse around that movie was uh fucking draining uh, so fucking draining and awful and i hated every single second i would see somebody have a take of it online either good or bad i was just like can we stop talking about this fucking movie that i really enjoyed um but still at the same time i mean i get it because like i heard i've heard a fair amount of people despite like the big critical praise and oscar nominations it got uh, in terms of audiences it's definitely gotten kind of a bit more of like a mixed reception i get it uh but at the same time what i just remember really liking about it is like i agree no, no one's necessarily traditionally likable i guess quote unquote but I think if you can at least make the situations interesting or engaging to me, I don't think I have to fully like side with a character um, or like even multiple characters. Just like I found that relationship very interesting in terms of what it deals with. I don't want to go into full depth on that because that could be another fucking whole episode of its own (laughs) talking about like the Alana Haim and um, Cooper Hoffman relationship. Uh, But I think they tread those waters in very interesting ways. And Anderson does a really good job. I think with the whole cast, like so many people bump bump in, like I agree, like Bradley Cooper's uh, really fun when he pops into the movie. Uh, But there's also like the woman who they go into for like the audition uh, Circuit, who's like so fucking great. I forgot what the actress is. She was recently in Werewolf by Night, but she's a great character actress. Um, and there's a few other people that show up in here. Honestly, like my biggest issue with that movie is just the whole John Michael Higgins thing, which out of all the various discourse things that I, you know, heard from about that movie, I completely get it with that character and the whole like, you know, racist angle that was going on. Like, I get what Anderson's going for with that character, but at the same time, uh, it feels very sloppily executed. And it can also just be, like, lifted out of the movie and you don't really lose much, especially about, like, the whole, oh, this is a representation of, like, an asshole character in the 70s and they're backwards thinking. It's like, there are plenty of other people in this movie (laughs) who have that, where you don't need this John Michael Higgins, like, weird, like, two-beat joke that doesn't even, like, have much of a payoff at all. Yeah, it feels like, like, 70s Saturday Night Live jokes. Like, it just, it's so tired, racist, dumb shit. Like, it makes, it makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. But but otherwise, I like a lot of uh, other elements about that movie. I think it's an interesting kind of hangout movie that uh, I think isn't my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson necessarily. But also, I liked it a lot more than, quite frankly, some of his other recent movies like Inherent Vice and stuff like that. But to each their own, Adam. I didn't like Inherent Vice either. Yeah. 
But anyway, um, let's go ahead and repeat our titles for everybody out there. Uh, for my good, I had Slums of Beverly Hills, and for my bad, I had me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. For my good, I had Turbo Kid, and for my bad, I had Licorice Pizza. And uh, submit your own coming-of-age uh, redos to us at our various socials, which we'll uh, go ahead and list off here as we get to the end of the episode, though stay tuned. We'll be doing our picking for next week. Uh, at the very end of the episode. Though first, we gotta thank some people, like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used for our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thorvalli for the artwork for our show. Follow him at Night of Water, that's night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, for more of his great artwork on various socials. And thanks, of course, to our loyal Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you get to do stuff like vote in polls for topics and movies that we cover. And uh, also, you get to listen to bonus podcasts, which we know this is coming out November 1st, so Halloween has come and gone. But you can uh, still listen to the recently released bonus podcast episode about Midnight Mass, where Adam and I talked at length about that Mike Flanagan show, and uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, because it's fucking perfect. And if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. If you haven't seen it, go see it. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, pay. That way you can listen to it and then go watch it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and if you're a Patreon supporter, you also get to vote. Uh, this week, we'll be putting out a poll uh, for an upcoming episode where, uh, you know, uh, Avatar The Way of Water is coming toward us. And the way we are going to tie into that particular movie's release is we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to Sigourney Weaver, one of her faves. We've been wanting to do this episode for quite a while. Aww, quite excited I, thought, to. I, I thought it was going to be a Sam Worthington episode. Oh, that's true. We could talk a lot yeah, about he's all so those good movies. Good. Yeah. Right. Man alleged stands here. <laughs> Man alleged Wrath of the Titans, baby. That's going to be our top episode. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But Adam, uh, you have the good picks for that particular Sigourney Weaver episode, and people will be voting, uh, if they're a patron, between your two good choices. Uh, what are those two good choices they have to vote between? My two good choices are Galaxy Quest and Working Girl. The cult classic Working Girl? Yep, because yep, somehow that's what it is now. Right, made $100 million, <laughs> nominated for multiple Oscars. Yep. And it's a cult classic, one of those uh, yeah. obscure ones you gotta dig for. I have seen both of your good picks. I would be on board for either one. They're both very good. Yeah, super fun. Uh, and uh, for just the $1, you get to, once again, listen to that bonus podcast or uh, vote in that particular poll. We greatly appreciate every dollar that's given to us by our edge lords out there, as we like to call them. Yeah, you guys are right. Most of you some of ya, two of ya. All right. <laughs> All seventeen of you currently are great. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. But for more of us, uh, find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. And you can also submit, you know, feedback or double reduce to us either there or on our uh, email, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. And uh, for more of me, find me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd at NotTheWho'sTommy. And I also do some writing on places like MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and at Film-Cred.com. And I'm on Instagram at Atom or Adam. That's A T O M underscore O R underscore A T A M. And I'm also on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S C H W A N D T S O N. 
And for more of our audio antics, uh, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why not listen to all the other great shows on the network? But you can also dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for like 200 episodes before we even joined TFS. And uh, if nothing else, if you can't, you know, support us monetarily on the Patreon, you know, it's fine. You know, money can be tight. Even that $1 can be a lot for some people. We totally understand. But you can help us out for free, for no charge, by rating, reviewing, or sharing the show around to give us more visibility. Yeah, keep doing it. We like it, fuckers. Well, now, Adam, it's time we did our picking yeah. for next week's episode, uh, which we do at the end of every episode. We uh, have, you know, a good and a bad pick that has to be decided on, and we switch up on the quality for that. Uh, one of us has too good, one of us is too bad. We assign numbers between 1 and 10 for them, usually. And uh, whatever the other person picks, where they're just like, oh, hey, I'm going to pick number 7, then the other person will say, oh, that's closest to number 6, which has this particular movie uh, at its place, and so that gets us our good and our bad pick most of the time, though there's some things to consider. One, uh, our patrons, like uh, I mentioned earlier, they can vote on certain ones, and so they voted for my good pick, which is going to stay because it cannot be uh, subject to the Godfather rule, which basically means uh, Adam and I each have a veto in our back pocket that we have to use before next May, so if one of us hears usually the pick that's decided on, and we're like, you know what, I don't want to cover that particular movie... The person can say, actually, I'll take the cannoli. Thus, that choice is gone. When we have to go with whatever other good or bad choice is on the other side of things. And, uh, the you know, to continue Revember, uh, we're going to revisit a topic we haven't done since the very first year of the show. I believe it was the last episode of our first year of the show uh, where we talked about spoof movies in honor of a weird The Al Yankovic story is uh, coming out. And um, I'm curious about the one, you know, Daniel Radcliffe continuing his ride of... Just doing whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of here for that. Like, I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but hey, I can appreciate him just being like, nope, I want to be Weird Al in a movie. So, awesome. Look, I mean, it's on the Roku, the Roku channel, Adam. Yep, it's got to be. Which I, uh, I like Roku, so fuck you. Well, this is their first step into original program, so I'm sure you're very excited by this prospect of them nah, giving you nah. new things. Not really. <gasps> you, you, ro- you have no loyalty a, to Roku, sir. I'm a, I'm a trickster. Oh, man, you're going to be running out of Roku City at this point. Son of a bitch. With, with this particular spoofs one, like I mentioned earlier, you aren't going to be able to use your uh, veto on the good choice, which our patrons voted on from my two choices. Um, we end up with uh, bet- between uh, Kung Fu Hustle and then the ultimate winner, which was the Zucker Abrams Zucker film Top Secret which uh, I'm very excited about myself. I think that one's very underrated. Yeah, I haven't seen that one in a while, but I remember being quite fond of it. I know my wife really likes it, so that'll be fun to revisit. Interesting, because you made a big deal about when I announced it was one of the choices that you didn't like it very much. Yeah, I, I haven't... You know, the thing is, it's it, compared to some of the other ones that have come out, it, it's, it's a little bit more fondly remembered. Let's put it that way. Okay, well, you have the two bad choices, Adam. I have to pick number one and ten for them, and uh, this is this is very dicey territory. Given spoofs, they can be uh, pretty legendarily, infamously terrible. Okay, I will say before you even pick, to sort of put your heart at ease, there is no like disaster movie, epic movie, date movie, none of those. Oh, no, Friedberg Seltzer joints on no, your choices. No. Okay, okay, <laughs> you have some mercy. Yeah, um, fuck that. Because <laughs> you don't want to also watch that bullshit again. No, fuck no. Hmm, but okay. 
for your two choices. Uh, I'm going to go with number three. Okay, at number two, I have a movie starring an actor who I believe his newest movie on a Netflix exclusive is sort of a spoof. I haven't watched it. Uh, but I have the Marlon Wayne starring Fifty Shades of Black. Oh, fuck me. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I, I haven't seen this one, but do I, do I dare? I mean, it's up to you, man. It's a, it is a, truly a double-edged sword. You know what? Life's too short for that shit, Adam. I'm going to take the cannoli. I have the not scary movie, not I'll always know what you did, not how shriek if you know what I did, blah blah blah. Horror spoof, Stan Helsing. Oh, hmm. <laughs> you got fucked, buddy. Well, either way, you were in trouble. Either way, you're in trouble. I mean, either way, I was going to be in trouble. I figured, but you know, at the very least, I believe Stan Helsing is that not one of the last Leslie Nielsen ones, right? I don't know. I don't think he's in that, is he? I believe it is. I think that was one of like the very last ones he was in uh, before his passing. Way, if he is, I don't remember it. So. He is in Stan Helsing. I can confirm oh, that. Well. So at least look, at least on our spoofs episode, we have a bit of Leslie Nielsen representation. I'll take that over Fifty Shades All of Black. Right. That'll be the one thing we're just like, well, did I completely waste it? We'll see. We'll see next time. But until then, everybody, uh, you know, it's time we. Uh, I don't know, did some wacky shenanigans while waving through a window. Nope, not doing it. I refuse.